so I went to this party once. It was a Web3 party. Went in, got a fancy badge with a QR code. There was an ice sculpture by the door with a QR code. And like I scanned them. It went to some dude's Twitter account. Halfway through the party, he got up and sort of announced, hey, I've threw myself a party. I've got a job with Gary Vee. Follow me on Twitter. Like, this felt like the same thing. When I scanned the thing, went to Twitter, it's like, what on earth are they doing? And how do they expect to onboard people with this kind of experience? It seems like they've paid $6 million or whatever for 300,000 Twitter followers, and that's it. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Floorcast, the NFT podcast. Last week, we slagged off the Egg Bowl and this week we're going to talk about the Egg Bowl again, obviously. First and foremost, introducing my colleagues, co-hosts and best friends. Corwin, how are you doing? <laughs> Wait, did you just say best friends? <laughs> yeah, isn't that what we are? Yeah, I've never even met Chris, but I just sense that we get like, we've got like Bezzy vibes, you know? Yikes. Uh, I'm doing great. You don't how know you how happy that? you just made Corwin. <laughs> No, not He's happy. Not happy at all. Uh, why are you not happy at all? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm your bestie. Anyway, you had a you had a funny story that you were saying off air that I thought would be great to capture on air. Like, Corin, what happened to you this week? Uh, it's not that funny. But you mentioned my childhood acting days, and I went to a restaurant the other night, and to like go to restaurants in New York, like a lot of them use like this reservation system. So I had to like put in my phone number and like make a resi there. And then when I got there and I was sitting at the bar, the bartender, she's like, hey, before you came, me and uh, the host here looked you up and found out about your movie and said the name of it. And I was like so embarrassed, but I started thinking about when you guys were like talking about that. So you're telling me that you, you know, you're famous enough for someone at a restaurant to notice you. No, they didn't notice me. They just looked me up and stupid Google won't get rid of that one thing. Will the devs do something? Apparently not. And he's dropped his mic. Uh, Chris K, over to you. How are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I'm good. I haven't been recognized um, in any restaurants this week. Um, you know, that makes me feel a bit sad. Um, but uh, otherwise, good. The Egg Bowl, enjoyed that the weekend. Rihanna, I thought it was a performance of her career. Um, and yeah, generally just a lot of fun. Didn't watch the sports bits, but the adverts were fun. Um Lots of uh, things to talk about, I think, around some Digidaiku, which we'll get to later. Um, but yeah, all in all, great weekend. Mm, very good weekend. And, you know, you might be recognized in, where are we trending? Bulgaria and is it Iceland? Oh, yeah, I need to go to Iceland and see the fans. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to have a look, like, we, we're not currently charting, but yeah, I'll, I'll have a look later. I'm sure, sure there's some um, countries that we are still charting in. Curtis, how are you doing? Uh, very well. Also got to watch a little bit of Egg Bowl. In Canada, we don't get the same commercials. So any of the good commercials, I actually have to look up on YouTube afterwards in like a top 15 or top 20 best commercials. So yeah, there there's some good ones. Obviously the DigiDaiku one, uh, which I've got lots to say about. And uh, yeah, Rihanna was good. That's not what you said off air though. You said Rihanna was bad. <laughs> no, no, no. Rihanna was good. Every song that she sings, you're like, I remember that. And all of them are like top 10 hits yeah um because the cameras are turned on curtis is a different person <laughs> no, no no the whole no no what i was criticizing is like it just wasn't that exciting it was a lot of her songs as well like it, if it got cut by like three minutes i'd have been like eh, cool and every time i thought it was going to stop it carried on 
but then all the songs are bangers to be fair so and i don't know maybe it's, i'm not doing an age thing here but like i kind of remember being like 13 when some of those were were top hits you know taking me back to your kind of weird teen-ish years so so yeah that was that was fun chris k i don't know what you were 50 when rihanna started, came onto the scene or something oh 50 at least yes yes <laughs> Okay, let's. Uh, well, actually, before we get into it, it's my first ever Super Bowl. I, I don't even know how that's possible. What do you mean, how is it not possible? I've lived in the UK for my whole life. They're an ungodly hour, and I've never been into American football. It's a pretty simple explanation. But, but the bad thing with your first Super Bowl is you watched it in Canada, which means you got all the bad Canadian commercials and yes. none of the good US commercials. All the bad Canadian commercials, and no one in the bar was really that into it uh, in the hotel bar. So, Did you all get the Digi commercial then, or no? We didn't, no. Did we? Oh, no, damn. we didn't, guys. So, well, you guys, you guys lucked out. Canadian, Canadian TV rugged us. Canadian, Canadian. So, <laughs> maybe someone else can confirm, but I don't know if we got it because I wasn't looking for it. I knew what was going to happen, and I wasn't even going to try. So, <laughs> okay, let's let's get into it. So, last week we talked about Digi Daigaku uh, or Limit Break, the parent company, doing. One of the only kind of crypto-related ads. For anyone living under a rock, uh, they did a scan QR code commercial that was essentially supposed to be, or everyone thought was going to be a link to mint the NFT, or you get onto a waitlist and then get to mint the NFT. What actually happened was you scanned this QR code and you went to the founder's Twitter, which was his, his pin post was basically a giveaway. And but you basically scanned the QR code and then entered the giveaway on Twitter. And it was just crazy. I mean, like, what a terrible waste of $7 million, Corwin. Well, it actually, for the first, like, two minutes, he had a link that went to the Mint site. And when you went to the Mint site, it's like, oh, we're all, we're all minted out. I think it minted out within, like, literally 20 seconds. Uh, but the second I clicked to go to MetaMask to connect to their website, like, MetaMask was just broken. Like... It just like it would face ID and then just stick on the on the screen for like two minutes and wouldn't do anything. I think everyone's hitting MetaMask servers all at once or whatever was happening. But yeah, it was going to his Twitter and Twitter went down. Like the second I scanned the QR code and went to his Twitter, like it was like, oh, this isn't or this page isn't available or whatever. Something went wrong. Uh, so absolute disaster. I feel like it probably just got botted out. But then the floor on those went like. Right array to like 0.3, which their main collections what at like 15 ETH. So interesting. Uh, Curtis, you said you had a lot to say about this. So give it to us. Yeah, I, I won't say it all at once because it's probably way too long of a rant. I'll let other people chime in. But um, I mean, I don't know what they're expecting. We called this last week. What are they trying to do? Like, if they're trying to attract net new users into Web3, like by every single metric you could possibly measure. This was a complete fifth year. Not they only had five thousand mints available. Uh, the ten k cap on the collection is laughable already because, like, if you want to onboard millions of people, you've got to do something like a Doodles tour or, or something bigger. You can't do ten k. Also, because it's a free mint on ETH, you still need gas. So that means you need a wallet set up on your phone with some ETH, and you need to know how all that stuff works. That is not a new user. Like the number of people that probably prepared for this mint that weren't in web3 before this is probably pretty close to zero and when you look at the stats afterwards uh, nft statistics did a, a thread about this and also on the proof daily show um he found that 
70% of the wallets that minted had already bought an NFT or sold an NFT before, and 30% were new wallets. But the speculation there is that they're probably burner wallets because the smart people probably created a new wallet and funded it just so they didn't get like wallet drained or something. Those new wallets are probably like none of those people are are new to Web3, I don't think. I'm also curious, how did Limit Break get away with this? How were they able to have a digital collectible? Well, because like, why did no other Web3 company do this? Well, they said they were banned, right? Crypto commercials were banned? Yeah. I think exchange commercials were banned, but... Okay, but Polygon could have paid a bag to have one of their collections that they're working with, like, onboard millions of users, but no one else did. But why? Like, this is what we talked about last week. Why would you want to do that? This is the most expensive way to get eyes on a promoted tweet in history. Like, this is just... The return on investment is so low. Like, no one in their right mind would do this. It's much better to go spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on promoted tweets. You'd get far more reach yeah. and probably a better conversion now, than spending that's what the T-Mobile CEO did, right? Way back then. He would, like, just promote all his tweets and, like, ask questions and... Interesting, yeah. And they're, they're also promoting tweets anyways because everywhere I go now on Twitter, I'm seeing Digi promoted tweets. So they could have just done that. Like, I don't... I really don't understand why they had to spend $7 million on an ad that at best looked like a really scammy version of a Raid Shadow Legends ad. That's what I thought. And then all the art and everything around it, it's just like, this is the pre-roll YouTube stuff that just looks like an absolute scam. Like The one bright spot in all this, I was thinking about this on the weekend, the Web3 hasn't been tarnished by this thing because no one outside of Web3 has any idea what went on. Like They don't understand why this was bad or anything. It's the only people within Web3 that are like, oh, this is bad, this is a failure, this is, looks bad. So normies are like, whatever, it's just another commercial that looks scammy. I'm not going to... Like, maybe you scan the QR code, you go to Twitter, you're like, whatever, and close your browser. So, But is it just another commercial that looks scammy? Like, that seemed to be like the only scammy commercial I seen during the Super Bowl. Like, all the rest were like... Like, I'm like, oh, if I'm going to scan this, I'm going to get a virus type thing. <laughs> like, right, but what I mean is just, like... In terms of reputation for Web3, there, there wasn't some big thing that announced like, oh, this is an NFT or this is your gateway to Web3, like click here and do something. It's, it's not like a, a reputational damage like like an FTX or some of these regulations mm. coming down are. It's, it's just another scammy link that didn't go anywhere and everyone who wasn't aware is just like, whatever. Yeah, the commercial itself was very underwhelming. I was sort of watching and like the animation, the sort of design was terrible it looked like a scammy casino ad i'd get in instagram and then it sort of clicked oh wait are these the dragon things that corwin was talking about um so get my phone out scan the qr code which is sort of a really stressful experience when you know the commercial's only like 30 seconds long just sort of getting your camera app and just making sure that you scan it um, I had the same MetaMask um, delay uh, that you had, Cohen. In fact, I get that every time I open MetaMask on my phone. I don't know what the devs are doing, but like it takes a minute to go from the Face ID screen to the point where I can actually do something. But yeah, this was weird. Like, So I went to this party once. It was a Web3 party. Went in, got a fancy badge with a QR code. There was an ice sculpture um, by the door with a QR code. And like, I scanned them. It went to some dude's Twitter account. Halfway through the party, he got up and sort of announced, hey, I've threw myself a party. I've got a job with Gary Vee. Follow me on Twitter. Like, this felt like the same thing. When I scanned the thing, went to Twitter, it's like, what on earth are they doing? And how do they expect to onboard people with this kind of experience? 
like it seems like they've paid six million dollars or whatever for three hundred thousand Twitter followers, and that's it. Like if they wanted to have a minting experience that was sort of newbie friendly, they could have done that. Um, whether that's sort of using traditional web tech, whether that's using like app clips, anything like that. But instead, they send all these people to Twitter who don't have a clue what the ad is about um, and then expect them to figure it out. I, I agree with Curtis. Like it didn't really do anything bad for like the perception of Web3 because you didn't realize it was Web3. Um, you know, this is just a scammy game as far as most people, I think, were concerned. Well, yeah, you, d- you didn't think it was Web3, but you maybe thought it was like a casino advert or like a free-to-play game. Like, you know, when you use a, I don't know, a a random app on your phone, like a step counter or or whatever, and every week it needs you to watch an ad. It was like one of those ads. And whilst I don't think the majority of people would have changed their perceptions of of Web3 in a negative light, I think it it was still fairly damaging. Like, you know, I was watching it with my girlfriend, her dad, and and, and her stepmom, and like they were all like, what the hell is that when I showed it to them? They were like, that's just terrible. Um, oh, by it was after I told them it was an NFT, but most people have kind of twigged onto the digital collectible NFT thing. So, I, I mean, from some of the kind of pushback I've heard or seen on Twitter or LinkedIn and stuff and from writing about it, I think there are like a bunch of people who are just like, well, what the hell was this? It was a terrible idea from the Web3 side. And then also people who didn't know it was a Web3 thing till after giving it a bit of pushback. But I, I, I on the whole agree that it didn't have like, too negative a connotation to um to to web3 stuff overall for the next web3 brand that wants to do this the best way that they could have possibly spent this seven million dollars is qr code to basically copy what trump collectibles did like like or hate that project their onboarding was probably the smoothest like normie onboarding you could possibly have you signed up with an email it generated you a wallet in this case, I would say maybe fund it with a little bit of Matic. So do this on Polygon or some other low cost chain and make the mint uncapped. So like everyone gets a collectible, then funnel them into some sort of Clash of Clans, like clone game. Like those games are not like we've solved how to make those types of engaging games for casual gamers. Just tie it into like a the digital collectible. And then there you go. You've got your like hundreds of thousands of new users into your game. And then you can attempt to monetize it or, or do whatever. But yeah, this this just like on every metric that you could possibly measure is is nothing, and it's the treasury of the from the mint too. I assume so. That's what makes it worse. Is what could that seven million have gone to that wasn't this? I, they also got fun, limit break. Got like a hundred million dollar funding right on their round. Like they got. Yeah, but I mean that funding is finite, right? Yeah. yeah. Eventually, yeah, no, you're going absolutely. to run out of money. Yeah, if you're spending it on Super Bowl ads, I I'm similar to you, Curtis. I think. I think it would have been great if like Reddit did a commercial since they were partnered with the NFL for digital collectibles being like, Hey, come create, create a free Reddit account and claim your NFLs or Super Bowl, whatever LV, whatever it is, uh, collectible today. And like, that's easy onboarding too. you create a Reddit account and you just, and you get your digital collectible. And if you want to take it off and learn more about it, you can, if not, you know, you play around with it. Um, but yeah, what, limit break did here i was just like i have no idea what's going on one other detail that nft statistics uh dug into um they only minted five thousand of the ten thousand they actually minted five thousand themselves and on twitter they're saying you have to like and retweet and they're doing all this sort of engagement farming and they're saying that the most rare ones are the ones they minted so that's pretty scammy behavior 
just to get more Twitter followers and more retweets, like if your goal is to grow like a gigantic artificial Twitter following, it's way easier to buy those followers, way cheaper to buy those followers. Like this is, I just don't understand why they had to spend this money to get Twitter followers. Well, like, the, you can argument, buy the argument I've heard, and I posted about this in LinkedIn, I was quite scathing about it. And someone was like, yeah, but everyone's talking about it. Like we don't know their ROI yet. Like there is no chance the cost per click or cost per acquisition is, is going to be anywhere near worthwhile. And then also like just because everyone's talking about something doesn't mean it was like good for your brand or good marketing. Like the that whole all publicity is good publicity is, is just not a factor, I think, when it comes to Web3. I mean, we can we can view this stuff on chain. There so like Corn said, their Genesis collection, I think was like ten or eleven ETH before this in the run up to it. I think it dropped to eight or seven, like seven or eight afterwards. So that's the royalties are a lot less. And I think these dragons are trading at 0.4 or so. So in terms of royalties, like there's no way they're recouping millions of dollars in royalties. That's reserved for blue chips in like frenzied periods. There's no way this free mint is giving you that much royalties to, to just like, and there's a free mint. So yeah, I just don't see it. I mean, do we think the approach needs to evolve? Like, it seems like they just followed the sort of 10K PFP collection playbook here um, and just pointed millions of users at it um, and then realized it didn't work. Like, they could have easily done onboarding. They could have easily done wallet creation, fiat, whatever. Are they just not thinking about this? Like, this is sort of similar to the Game of Thrones thing where it's like, how many people actually approved this? Like they spent $6 million on a Super Bowl ad, but it seems like they didn't really think about how to capitalize on those people beyond, hey, let's get some more Twitter followers. That's got to change as we go more mainstream. Like you're not going to have as limited collections, or at least if you're going after the masses, you, you, you need to have something available for them. The other thing I don't understand is if their goal was to get mass like mass amounts of new people this money could have been spent on building like one of those uh games that you see on you get uh pre-rolls and youtube's like a clash of clans type thing like uh raid shadow legends like one of those like kind of more scammy but i mean they're just crazy for engagement tie them to an nft so like buy out a company or buy the whole a whole game like seven million dollars will buy you quite a bit from an indie indie studio buy that and then just use that to get people in. Say like, hey, it's all digital collectibles and whatever. I know of at least four or five on-demand wallet providers now that are doing this, like you enter an email and you spin up a wallet. Like there's no reason to have MetaMask. There's no reason to do any of that sort of stuff. Reddit, Starbucks, all those brands have shown that you can have a custodial wallet for these people when they onboard. Like that, that's the route to go if you want to do it. So the, I hope the next one looks more like that, especially in gaming because... If gaming is going to take off, it's got to be a pretty smooth onboarding. But yeah, this just this just isn't it. Yeah, and compare and contrast it to Reddit and their success around the Super Bowl. Like I think 1.3 million wallets created for their collectibles. You know, that's an amazing sort of thing. You know, over in just under a few weeks, they've sort of doubled the amount of wallets um, available uh, on like OpenSea. They've beat that sort of number easily. And they, they sort of understand, yeah, you can't expect everyone to sort of bring their own wallet. You need to sort of smooth people in. You're going to have folks who care about the crypto side, but you're going to have folks who don't. And like, you don't want to leave any of them behind. Um, yeah, much better ways to do this, I think. 
So I, I was going to ask you, Chris, to, to kind of finish up on on this bit before we talk about Reddit a little bit, Corwin, because I think you know, success there should be should be talked about in a positive light. And then we've got a, a bunch of other stuff to talk about. Chris, Kate, and Curtis, how would you have done this from end to end if you were kind of consulting for Limit Break? Um, took the six and a half million dollars and went on holiday. Um, <laughs> I don't. So I mean, first of all, like you know, you have this sort of big question that like, you know. What are they getting from the Super Bowl ad? And is it a good return on investment? Let's sort of table that for a second. I think the goal was just for their CEO to get more clout on Twitter. I don't think they had a goal of expanding their brand name or getting people to mint this free collection. I would agree. Because they would have linked to their Limit Break Twitter or their Digi Twitter, but they linked to the CEO's Twitter. Exactly. So it's a six and a half million dollar eye sculpture, essentially. Um... If you know that you're going to be appealing to some millions of people, you you need a more mainstream product. And I think that would be sort of the first thing is like, whatever you're putting out there, you can't just cap it at 5,000 pieces. Um, you know, everyone should be able to get something and be onboarded into your ecosystem. That I think gives you the biggest sort of chance of retaining those users. Beyond that, it's a question of how do you make it as seamless as possible? And that comes into sort of what you can do around the minting experience, around custodial wallets. I like Curtis's suggestion of like subsidizing gas fees on Polygon um, or another low-cost chain, because I think that really helps. And I'd also be sort of capturing email address um, so that you can actually communicate with these people. They've bought into your ecosystem, whether they know what it is or not. You know, you need to be able to sort of take uh, them and sort of guide them through what you're doing and so sort of try and engage them versus just getting them all to try and follow a Twitter account. Oh, and also everyone had to sign up before the Super Bowl and I'm assuming at least a hundred thousand wallets signed up and you had to connect your Twitter. So they also data mined all of that as well. So now they have everyone's wallets, Twitter's connected on their back end too. That's some ROI. I thought they made you follow the guy as well during that process. Yeah, you had to follow him too, but the fact that you had to connect and auth your Twitter and then also uh, connect your wallet, like they have all that data now too. So maybe that is part of the ROI. I mean, that's kind of useful. I mean, I mean, they could go sell it to all these uh, chain companies in the space, right? They could, but you can get the same from Premint. Um, Premint probably has more yeah. wallets than Pre- that's true. anyone. So um, just... I, th- I think I mentioned it a few times already, so I-, I will be brief in my how I would run this end-to-end. But first and foremost, I would make an appealing game that these collectibles tie into. I don't know. It, does DigiDaiku already have a game, or is it a promise of a game at this point? Does anyone know? I think it's a promise because they've sold all the characters as NFTs, right? Like they, they've got the original and then they've got the heroes, the villains, and then they've got the spirits and like attachments and potions and stuff. I don't think they've currently got a game. Yeah. So it seems like they all, they have the right elements. And I mean, this playbook is very well known. Like Raid, Raid Shadow Legends, I keep bringing up is like the epitome of this thing. It's, there's always new heroes being added, which like if you tie that to a digital collectible, there can be rarity involved. Once you have the game and you tie the collectibles into it, you have a mass mint where you're subsidizing gas fees. Maybe you're paying a little bit to give everyone like 0.1 Matic or 1 Matic or whatever it is. Like fund these wallets so they can start doing transactions on whatever chain you choose. Then make a big deal about the rarity reveals. Like 
this is part of the degen gambling thing that we really love. Like this is why we buy pre-reveal and we we love the reveal, getting the rarities, buying and trading. Even on the Reddit side, you're seeing a lot of normies that have gotten into it are getting really excited about like the new different drops that some of the artists are coming out with. Make a big deal about the reveals and the rarities, like get people excited about this digital collectible, but then educate them on like, hey, you actually own this thing. It's in your wallet or in your account or whatever. Like that that's the way to onboard people. Get them into a game that's actually fun. And the digital collectible is just like a side effect. Like hopefully that lets them get into the broader ecosystem where it's like, oh, there's actually this Genesis collection where if you go to OpenSea, you can start buying more stuff or you can do upgrades or do like the ape coin microtransaction type thing where they're paying Matic. Like there's so many ways once you get them in the door and get them hooked on a game. Yeah. So that that's how I do it. There's so many ways technically that this could have been run. And if you gave me seven and a half million dollars, could probably make a pretty damn good run at the exact same thing and get way more success. If anyone's listening and has a spare $7 million and wants to give it to Curtis, then yeah, there you go. Um, Corwin, shift to you quickly to talk about the the Reddit uh, NFL partnership. Just a quick note from that, uh, on, on that from you, and then we'll move on. Uh, it went great. I mean, I thought it was really cool. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, We talked about it last week. I think they have over probably like a million plus mints now, maybe 2 million. 1.3 million. Uh, 1.3 million. That takes them up to... 10 million from about six and a half unique. That's that's great. They're pretty crazy, right? Crazy numbers. Yeah. All you need is a Reddit account and they automatically mint it for you. They do everything for you. So it's, you know, I think it's really cool. And I think it's, they're doing things the right way. Mm. I'm assuming Reddit has their own internal team, but yeah, it seems great. Yeah. The, the only thing I think about the experience is it's, it's difficult to get to the secondary market very easily. Yeah, you got to go through a couple of hoops and know which buttons to click. Like I remember spending like 20 minutes every single time I meant a new one trying to figure that out. But also, I don't know if they're trying to make it easy that way. Mm. I think they're kind of, they kind of want people to decorate their, what are they called? Snooze or something on Reddit? Yeah. Are they going to get their own marketplace internally, do you think? I'm not sure. Um, the way Starbucks is doing it right now is they have their own marketplace too, but it's all through Nifty Gateway. So maybe. Okay. Well, um, listen, before we move on to our next couple of topics, I uh, need to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the Flora NFT app community. And if you don't know what Flora is, it's your very own NFT portfolio in your pocket, an app that aggregates all your NFTs into one amazing interface. What's the latest from Floor? I'm going to go over to Curtis because there's something cool coming next week, but I'm not allowed to talk about it. Then I can't talk about it either. So yeah, there's lots of stuff going on behind the scenes. We've we've hinted at being able to claim usernames and sign up for accounts. So that's stuff that's being worked on right now. Uh, you may have noticed in the past little bit that the wallet alerts, when stuff is moving in and out of your wallets, are getting more and more descriptive and we're continuing to improve on that. So uh, eventually we'll have like, hey, you sold something on OpenSea for this much um, instead of just like, hey, Doodles just left your wallet and giving you a little bit of a heart attack. And we're really doubling down on all the content stuff. So please like, go look at your Discover page. There's usually 10 to 20 pieces of content every single day being added to the Discover feed. And some of it is available on the collection screen. So it's catered to the collections that you're, you own. So uh, lots of stuff going on through there and some interesting new Discovery features coming within a week or two. Wow. Lots coming. Curtis is hard at work. 
The next thing we're going to talk about, and this was a question actually last week that we didn't get a chance to, to get around to, but uh, Chris K has made me put it in this week's show, but I do think it's a, it's a great one. Uh, this was from Renault99 from the Floor Discord. I'm not a holder here, but expect we see a lot of it. In other communities where there is a pause, I expect they will just shut down and make me a, a bit sad um, for the vision, but understand people need to come back when, it's, when it isn't working and the funds are gone. If there are funds or active community, then a soft landing is good. I'm not close enough to this to know, but it seems like they explored some options, uh, but didn't find a fit. And this was in relevance to a uh, NFT project called Etherorks. 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 Yes, and it was basically talking about like shutting down projects and 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 how to do that. I mean, Chris K, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I don't know anything about Etherorks in particular but like i've seen a bunch of projects shut down in one way or another some have done it in a in a really bad way some have done it in a in a more admirable way what do you think should be should be the right path yeah it's a good question so i don't know too much about ether orcs either that could be why they're shutting down um but apparently it's a play to earn game um and they've just recently made the decision that they can't really sort of fund continued development it hasn't grown the way they want to they haven't been able to secure external funding, nor have they really found um, any other development team developers who are sort of interested in um, continuing. It seems like they've considered options like, okay, well, what if we mint more tokens? But I think they've sort of hit the wall where it's just not sustainable. Um, and they're taking the path of, okay, we're just going to open everything up as sort of creative commons open source um, so that other folks can see what they've done. I've seen other projects that have um, just wholesale should have shop and just closed down the Discord and sort of that's it. I've seen others that have sort of tried to sort of make things right by like offering art instead of other things to the token holders as part of that shutdown. And then other projects as well I'm seeing are sort of pivoting significantly from their original vision. I think it's sort of a really interesting topic. And I think, you know, we're going to be seeing a lot more of this um, in the market. Like, um, you know, 99% of NFTs are going down to zero, essentially. You know, I think the big questions for me are like, is this a rug or is this just a failed project? How do you responsibly shut something down in these sort of cases? You know, I I'm sure we can think of examples where you know, projects have been absorbed and they've sort of found paths. But if there's absolutely no path to sort of save a project, do you just shut it down? You know, what is sort of the way to proceed there? If I go on Kickstarter and, you know, I think a lot of these projects are very similar to Kickstarter where it's like, okay, they're raising money for something, you know, half the time I don't get what I backed because the folks don't have that business experience or something fails along the way. So is that something that we should just accept? Cohen, Curtis, I'm curious your thoughts around this. Cohen, especially given all your Sol, um, Solana flops, you must be experiencing this a lot. Can we just have a good day, CK? It's, it's Valentine's Day. Can we, can we just can we please have just a good day? No Solana bashing. I think you're 100% right in like, especially like the Kickstarter background is like, a lot of these companies just don't have the business experience and don't know how to 
do a lot of the operational things like how do you handle money how do you pay taxes how do you do xyz and you know it's sad to see a lot of this happen but like i'm outside of that i'm really interested to see what the implications are going to be from law enforcement are people going to get arrested for like not handling the funds properly or like what's going to happen like we've already seen scammers get arrested um or even like false advertising, right? Like if you say yeah. these things are going to happen when you purchase something and they don't uh-huh. happen, is could that uh-huh. incriminate you, right? Like there aren't really any T's and C's that you sign up to when you purchase most NFTs. I know like a lot of brands are starting to do that now, but you know, like you mint an NFT and they publicize and advertise that they are doing X, Y, and Z and they don't do it. Like, could they be sued for that? I, I think probably because these things are digital collectibles, a lot of it skirts okay. around a lot of the laws, but like I think as soon as these things become official, ownable property, then things will probably change a lot. And you know, there's already precedent for that with lawmakers in in Singapore, I believe, kind of judging certain um, cases to say that you know the NFTs were actual property of a person. I think when that is in black and white, kind of across a lot of jurisdictions, there's going to be a lot less leeway for for some of these things. Yeah, and I think, uh, for actually just thinking about it right now, it's kind of interesting because you said like terms and conditions and like, for example, McDonald's, when they did their drop like a year or two years ago, they only allowed US only. And now I'm like thinking like, Pat, if you go to a store and buy trading cards, you're not signing any terms and conditions. You're just buying the trading cards, right? And you could resell them. You could do whatever you want with them. And I guess if they made like a false promise, like, hey, if you hold this, we're going to do X, Y, Z, then maybe they are incriminated. Incriminated. I don't know. Um, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of lawsuits over the next couple of years and people getting sued for false advertising or... Just going back, I've seen a bunch of projects do this in different ways. I mean, you know, we've seen Pudgy Penguins, for example, have the IP sold to someone who was really passionate about the project. And again, he had deep pockets and he could afford to buy it. And he's turned that around and done really, really well. There have been some complete rug bulls where the community has tried to pull together and, and, and kind of push it. I mean, there was one, uh, an Alexis Ohanian portfolio company, Comsor, that like a community building mm-hmm. tech thing. They did an NFT drop. It went well. It minted out. There were these like cute dinosaurs. I remember minting a bunch of them. But they shut down the project. They were like, oh, the remaining funds were donating it to charity. It's like, why don't you just yeah. pay back the people that uh-huh. bought the nft and they did it without consulting that that community it was really strange so there i think there's another one too here um by the way love proof not throwing shade uh chris k I, i'm curious your opinion on this um because proof was the one where like moonbirds went cco after they initially launched is that correct it is yes okay so was there any like terms and conditions could there be like a lawsuit there potentially for any collections that do something like that because you bought in understanding x but then y happened i don't know how any of this works i'm just asking questions yeah so i don't recall any terms of sale for moonbird specifically so like i i'm not sure if you have much of a leg to stand on there like in terms of sort of terms and conditions on NFT projects, you have like examples like Trump, you have examples like, um, Porsche. And like a lot of them are sort of, you know, setting sort of rules around things like raffles and stuff that are being promoted mainly to stay uh, atop of like gambling laws in various states. Hey, uh, 
you know, you, you can collect 200 tokens and have dinner with Donald Trump, or we can replace it with a $10 NFT at our discretion. You know, a lot of that is just sort of covering their ass. And this is sort of what you see with traditional contests as well. Like you need to have a way to enter without sort of purchasing and stuff like that. If you look at the Porsche stuff that you have, the sort of UK consumer protection law or whatever, which sort of was like, okay, you can get a refund in 14 days. Um, and their terms and conditions was essentially you're waiving that right. It really depends, like, on the eyes of the law, what these things are being sold as. You know, is it a digital collectible? Great. You've got a digital collectible. Why are you expecting other stuff alongside mm-hmm. it? And then sort of, you know, what they're doing as part of the marketing, not necessarily communicating the project roadmap once you've bought it, but more that sort of pre-sale marketing. You know, if it said, you know, if every Diamond Moonbird you get, Rihanna comes and sings to you, so you buy a Diamond Moonbird and she doesn't, you probably have grounds there. But if it's just a vague thing on the roadmap that then Mm -hmm. goes away, I think that's sort of a fair sort of change. Yeah, and I don't think we even seen much action come from like the ICO phase of so many people investing in these false promises. So I don't really see it happening to the NFT space anytime soon. I think there'll be a case here and there, but I think it's just going to be too difficult to educate a jury and a courtroom on what a digital collectible is and then go forward from there. No, and you have like so many real world examples. You buy an appliance, the manufacturer goes out of business. Often you're left with no recourse. You get a magazine subscription where you get pieces of a model airplane and it goes out of business before the final one. You've got a half-built model airplane, you know, live with it. I think it's interesting, Pet, your example where they just donated to charity. I I can see why they maybe (laughs) did that. Like, I, you know, issuing mass refunds is complicated. Why? Um, In terms of tracking who's entitled to them. And then obviously, if you don't have... These, all the money you raise from the mint, then you're just doing partial refunds and just sort of figuring out how to do that fairly, I think, just gets challenging. Mm. We also did see this recently with Logan Paul's collection, right? Because now they're refunding everyone who didn't burn or something their NFT and they're like doing no initial refunds, I've seen, because they got like called out. Uh, that, that project aside, which is a total cop out because he's refunding the mint price to people who minted, but yeah. everyone lost their shirt on the actual token, which they pumped and dumped. But anyways, mm-hmm. back to this one. I think it's really important that founders are able to get out of projects that aren't working because you don't want founders locked in a project where they have to continue to like suffer, especially when it's very clear that something is not going to make it. Um, we have real world examples of this sort of stuff, like Chris K was mentioning, those those few, but like even projects on Kickstarter or even projects that shut down or bigger corporations that go into bankruptcy, you pay back your debtors first. Like we have web two analogs for handling all of these situations. I think where people are going to run into trouble is that in the beginning of the bull run, everything was fast and loose. There weren't the terms in place. People starting these up were mostly younger kids and young adults who maybe didn't go through like setting up LLCs or the proper corporate structure. So those are the projects that are going to be a little more dicey. But I think as we move on here, these NFT projects are going to be more uh, corporatized. Like there's going to be terms of service. There's going to be like actual legal entities where all these refunds and things can flow through. And we'll figure out how to wind down projects. Like if you are uh, a customer of any startup or a Kickstarter and that thing doesn't go well, 
sometimes you can get your money back, but sometimes they just open source it and they're like, hey, you guys can do whatever you want with it. Sorry, it didn't work. Like, and that's all you get. In that case, like, unless you were able to prove that you got scammed, which some of these earlier ones and rug pulls might be the case, someone like Etherworks where they're like, we tried our best, didn't work. Here's what we're going to do. Like, we'll open source it or we'll try and give back money. Like, those people should not be legally uh, chased. And hopefully, the idea too is if you set up proper corporate structure, like you can attack the corporation all day long. The people behind it hopefully get have some protection there too. Yeah, I think a lot of this will be solved by uh, how legal stuff comes to the fore over the next kind of eighteen to twenty four months. I do think overall, though, that yeah, I I don't know, like the refund side. I, I think you know everything's on chain. You can kind of track who currently got this asset that has the promises of it because that's the other complicated thing, right? Like if we take this to Corwin's example of buying a trading card, if I bought a trading card and it guaranteed me a chance to win, you know, some sort of prize every year and guaranteed me entry to a tournament uh, where I play with these cards and guaranteed me first access to a, a Netflix show about these cards, whatever it may be, and none of those things happen, then that's bad. But also if I sell it to Corwin, he is then expecting to take up those options of those promises, right? And so if you're doing refunds, you have to just refund all the holders, right? Because they bought based upon the the promises of that utility. And if it doesn't come to the fore, then 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 there we go. I mean, the console example I gave was really bizarre because, you know, as you said, Chris, maybe it's a bit of a, a, a ball ache to kind of refund everyone, but to just give that money to, to charity is it's just, you know, it's great, right? You know, giving money to charity is great, but like without consulting everyone there, it's uh it's 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 very strange. Um Listen, I want to I want to move on to our final topic because I know that we've only got about eight minutes left here, and the last thing I want to talk about is Blur. So this is something that is highly anticipated. Blur's token drop, Curtis. I mean, you have used Blur a bunch. Chris K, you as well. Like, what what are your thoughts on this? I mean, everyone thought that Looks Rare was potentially going to be a competitor to OpenSea, but Blur have seemingly become the place that traders go to trade nfts and they've done a, a really good job up until this point but I, I guess a bunch of the volume has been pushed by this narrative that there, it will eventually be a, a token and uh because of all the airdrops that they've been pushing out so what are your thoughts here is this a, a kind of a double-edged sword or are you more excited than worried i'm excited for free money day but uh so looks rare I think why they did not capture hearts and minds with this is because they were basically an OpenSea clone. Like when you looked at the interface, there's they had a couple new features. Like I think they're the first to do trade collection offers and stuff like that. But largely it was like the interface was almost exactly the same. The thing they had going for them was the the staking of uh, the token. But I mean, that really didn't make much money for people. Where Blur kind of set themselves apart is they set themselves up with the UI and all the features as this is like the traders platform, like vastly different look, less emphasis on the pretty pictures, more emphasis on like, here are the charts, like here's the candlesticks, here's the trends, here's how you mass sweep, here's how you mass buy. Uh, the bidding pool was really important. And then this airdrop, like people love farming for these airdrops. So a lot of the, I think the majority of the NFT market volume in the past couple months has been blur airdrop farming. This happened in the lead up to um, some similar airdrops during the bull run and everyone was suspecting that floor prices as a result would drop and that didn't actually happen. So 
they're predicting it again that that's going to happen. That floors are being propped up by this blur bid farming. We'll see if the, those floors drop. Blue chips kind of across the board are already down pretty bad. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. But I mean, I'm looking forward to the airdrop. See what it is. It'll be interesting to see exactly what the price does. But typically with these things, there's an initial pump and then they dump uh, within a day or two. So if you're looking to sell and not hold, probably want to sell relatively quick. So you're dumping on everyone. That's what you're saying. I am not going to accumulate enough blur to even make a dent. Uh, like some of the, the wash traders are doing right now where they've got hundreds and hundreds of ETH worth of trades. Uh, I'm going to be a very, very small minnow. A minnow of a minnow. We should have like group floorcast washed a bunch of NFTs and just cashed in. Just for any anyone at the FBI listening, we definitely haven't done that and aren't thinking about doing that. Well, well listen, let's. Um, I think let's wrap up with a bunch of things that we've talked through there, and I think we've got a a big calendar of big mints coming up. I mean, um, Puma, Yuga, Artifact, so many big ones coming up. So we're going to have loads to talk about. And uh, thanks everyone for all your questions. Corwin, where can people find out more about you? You can find me on Twitter at 0xCorwin. And drumroll please, Chris K back in action on Twitter. Yeah, they, they let me back. You can find me on Twitter at at CKahonan, or you can find me on Farcaster at Chris K. Are you still using Farcaster? Be honest, now that you're back on Twitter. I've been using it a bit. Like, it's nice to have the sort of very focused sort of weird crypto maxi um, chat. And it's better than Mastodon. Um, long term, not sure where I'm going to be, but um, I'm still giving it sort of a fair shot. And finally, Curtis. Uh, Curtis J. Cummings on Twitter and hanging out in the floor Discord. Amazing. You can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A on Twitter. You can find Floor at Floor, like your floor that you step on, F-L-O-O-R on Twitter. And uh, you can find us at The Floorcast um, on Twitter. So The, then Floorcast on Twitter. And uh, yeah, just remember that none of what we have said is financial advice, business advice, or any sort of advice at all. It's just great banter. Um, thank you very much for listening and we'll have more Floorcast for you next week. Mm-hmm.